Hi, I'm Josh. I'm Ken. And I'm TJ. And this is Serious Film People. We are recapping the films of 1948 nominated at the 1949 Academy Awards. And uh, while we did it, we, we got through five films. Uh, several of which... Mission compared, accomplished. Compared to the previous two couple of series, um, there were a couple in here that uh, either none of us had ever seen and uh, at least one that only one of us had ever heard of. So, uh, yeah, what what are we thinking? Let's let's go down the list. We started off with Hamlet. Uh, well, we w- we watched Hamlet. We watched Johnny Belinda. We watched The Red Shoes. We watched The Snake Pit, and we watched The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And uh, I think I've asked you this before, Ken, but just remind me again. You picked this year. I did. Why did you want to watch? Why did you pick this year? There was no particular rhyme or reason. Um, after doing after doing 1975 and 2007, I wanted to go back a ways. Um, not quite. I didn't want to go back quite far enough just yet, where we're we're dealing with ten films, which some of the older years um, or some of the more recent years we're going to have to uh, deal with. Um, a part of me probably went this route because one, uh, the Snake Pit and Johnny Belinda were two films I was not familiar with. Snake Pit, I was not uh, even even remotely aware of, to be completely honest with you. Um, and the other reason was between the Red Shoes and the Treasure of Sierra Madre, I kind of wanted to have those discussions. Yeah, yeah. So you basically picked a year where you had at least two guaranteed bangers yeah. with Red Shoes and Sierra Madre, and then a curiosity of two more that you were like less familiar with. Yeah, I'll be honest. The Snake Pit really threw me for a loop looking at the lists of, of Best Picture nominees this one starring Olivia de Havilland, I, I just I couldn't have told you anything about the movie. Even the title threw me off. It just sure, yeah. What do we think <laughs> overall? I guess what do we think of uh, this group of five? TJ, what do you think of these five? You know, it, it does end up kind of kind of shaking out the way that Ken described or anticipated, and that I think what when you watch them. Now, granted, we do have the benefit of like this just kind of being the expectation, but when you watch them, you can see why. Two of them, even if I don't necessarily love one of them, um, why two of them have really withstood the test of time and the others not as much. Um, yeah. yeah. I think I think two in particular, and again, not making a statement about their quality <laughs> at all, um, but Johnny Belinda and the Snake Pit very much are like uh, kind of issue movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we still have our version of issue movies with the Oscars and kind of goes to my argument that I make a lot that they're not going to age that well. Um, yeah. And the ones that did age well uh, or better tend to be ones that are more thematically or aesthetically daring. Certainly for these five, I think that's, I think that's, that's really on point. And uh, it'll be interesting as we go forward, how many years shake out similarly, particularly of, of, of from these older, these older years. what do you think of these five, Ken? I mean, clearly, I was particularly fond of two of them already. I had seen, we'll say two and a half of of these five before going into this conversation. And to TJ's point, the two that I hadn't seen, The Snake Pit and Johnny Belinda, yeah, they don't, they they didn't really overwhelm me. They didn't really um, shock me in any way. So... uh, Wait, you weren't, you weren't shocked, you weren't shocked to learn that deaf people can think? (laughs) Right. Yes, I know. It's... (laughs) I, I'm I'm a bit advanced, I suppose, in my in my uh, appreciation for people, but uh, yeah, it didn't. I'm not sure that my expectations were at all rattled 
going into this mm. or on yeah. the back end. What I my preconceived ideas um, and love for a couple of these films, not surprisingly, kept them higher on my list. Yeah, I think I'm kind of the same way that like one or two of these was about what I expected based on reputation. The ones I hadn't heard of uh, <laughs> were a little, um, I guess, interesting as artifacts for like things that used to be considered prestige or populist even. And then uh, one or two of them just ripped. And I'm like, hell yeah. Because I hadn't seen any of these five before this before this uh, series. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I was 0 for 5 in terms of what I'd seen previously. Can I get into Populous Corner before we do anything else? Sure. I think that might be helpful, especially because I just gave my take and I'm the populist of the three of us, I think. Um, <laughs> so Populous Corner, I just want to recap. And, and a few of these we've already mentioned in the respective episode for the given movie, but I'll recap the Letterboxd ratings uh, of these five. Um, both the rating and also how many ratings it has, which was kind of illuminating in this Sierra Madre episode, I think. So the lowest rated on Letterboxd of these five, uh, take a guess. TJ, what do you think the lowest rated on Letterboxd of these five is? It might surprise you. Hamlet. Hamlet is correct. Yes. Oh, Hamlet, nice. All right. Hamlet, your best picture winner, has a 3.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd, and that's only... Uh, fewer than 9,000 ratings, which is not much at all. So not very well seen and pretty uh, polarizingly regarded for a 3.6. Uh, in fourth place, you have Johnny Belinda, which sneaks over Hamlet with a 3.7. But that only has 1,500 loggings uh, reviewed, which is like I can't believe that. minuscule. Oh That's nothing. I'm joking, nothing. obviously, by the way. It... Well, I'm just saying that like apparently on Letterboxd, no one's seen this. And no it's, one's rating it. You can only watch... The, we, we went over this. You can only watch the film in Nova Scotia on a Tuesday in March. And that's assuming <laughs> you paid ahead of time for the ticket. It's it's just a movie that nobody is... It's not like a film that's accidentally going to come across. There's a reason I hadn't heard of it before we we did a series. And I think that that's, uh, plays out in the populist of it all. Uh, in third place is The Snake Pit, which is not surprising. That also has a 3.7, same as Johnny Belinda, but it has more ratings. It has... 3.6 thousand instead of one and a half thousand which again is minuscule and like you'd be hard-pressed to find movies with that uh few amount of rating especially ones that were not in for best picture um and then in second place on letterbox is uh treasure of the sierra madre which as we mentioned in that episode has a 4.2 and 44,000 ratings and is number 222 on the letterbox top 250 so a major gulf there in terms of number of ratings Sierra Madre has 44,000, Hamlet has 9,000, Snake Pit 3,500, uh, Giant Belinda 1,500. And then finally, the highest rated on Letterboxd of these five is, of course, The Red Shoes, which is 4.3 out of 5, just barely over 4.2 of Sierra Madre. And that has the most loggings as well, 54,000 loggings. Uh, so it's number 76 on the Letterboxd Top 250. And I think, Ken, you mentioned in the last episode, that's probably the Marty factor. Uh, people... Listen to Scorsese's recommendation. I, I feel like I feel like that has got to have certainly a, a strong influence on why the Red Shoes is perhaps as popular as it is in the 21st century. I mean, to be fair, to its credit, I I I quite like the film. I very much appreciate what it's doing. Um, I think I liked it of the three of us clearly the most, um, and I think it does stand up to time. But the fact that more people or at least I don't, we don't know this for a fact, but at least on Letterboxd, more people have actively watched and reviewed the red shoes over treasure of the Sierra Madre 
that is, I think, what kind of surprises me and why I feel... That's surprising to me for sure. That's why, definitely surprising to me. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's got to... There's got to be... Scorsese, perhaps, is the is the key there. Why so many people have seen Red but, Shoes. But also, Paul Thomas Anderson, among others, as we mentioned this year, Madre episode, saying the Kubrick champions it, Spike Lee champions it, uh, Sam Raimi, Vince Gilligan, Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, it's not like Sierra Madre doesn't have people talking about it. Including, including Martin Scorsese, by the way. Scorsese including and Scorsese, Spielberg yeah. both love this movie as well. Um, treasure Sierra Madre that is so it's 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 not like oh well Red Shoes is the end all be all according to Marty no we we joke Marty drop name drops movies probably like I mean I mentioned in the Red Shoes episode that there's like a a, a super cut of Marty just like mentioning movies on the various talk shows he's been on in the last 30 years I've seen Duel in the Sun Beauty and the Beast uh, Cocteau uh, Les Enfants de Paradis um, uh, Ugetsu. I got to see The Heiress. I got to see The Bad and yeah, the Beautiful. Right. I got to see Sunset Boulevard. Uh, Zero de Conduit. John Ford, The Searchers. In a picture called Reflections in the Golden Eyes. Wild at Heart. Dancing on the Table right. doing Elvis. I mean, it's amazing. Eight and a Half being a watershed picture where it's just stopped. Everything that came before is now changed. As in The Red Shoes. Yeah, but what Paul Pressburger did in the sequence of The Red Shoes ballet. Or in um, Life and Death of Colonel Blamp. Or certainly in Black Narcissus. And then The Incredible Godfather 2. Which is one of the greatest films ever made. And so Godfather one also. And like Red Shoes is one of like 30 titles he just drops. So it's not like, like you just said, it's not like it's the end all be all for him. It's just one of many. But I think, you know, enough that enough of a recommendation people want to check. It out. I wonder if it has something to do with just uh, the Red Shoes having kind of available iconography with it. Um, you know, yeah. available images that Treasure of the Sierra Madre doesn't have, I think, as many memorable and iconic images. So I wonder if that has something to do with also, it as well. So first of all, TJ, are you surprised that the Red Shoes is more seen and higher rated than Sierra Madre on Letterboxd? Or are you not surprised by that? Um, I would I would have guessed it. I, I would have been surprised by that, I think. But maybe that's just my own, like, when I knew of them and came across them. Here's a thought that just entered my head. So this is a little half-baked. I apologize. I wonder if that's a bit generational. And, like, Letterboxd is probably people under the age of 40 or 30 even that's probably i'm generalizing here this is my assumption that's probably the user base and like i wonder if you asked older generations what they would say i think i think movie stars meant more back in the day and like you know uh the red shoes doesn't have a humphrey bogart in it it doesn't have a you know it doesn't have john houston's i mean Paul and pressburger are a big deal i guess but um i wonder if the older generation would identify more sierra madre than red shoes because of the humphrey bogart of it all and the movie stars of it all. They were, they were comparable, I think, in box office receipts. The Bread Shoes was in theaters for a very long time. So it, we mentioned it made decent money. Treasure of the Sierra Madre also made more than $4 million. So these movies were, were all fairly well seen for, for 1948. Um, but yeah, Humphrey Bogart is definitely going to be a bigger draw than any of the actors in the Red Shoes, all of whom are foreign, at least to American audiences. They're, they're British or... Um, well, mostly British uh, or Eastern European. I'm sorry to say for Josh's populist corner that I only have Letterbox to pull from and I don't have an AARP polling to uh, report on. But <laughs> Well, to your point, though, it is, it, is, it, is. it is true that during this, particularly during the studio era and the studios leaned into this, they kind of created it this way. Yeah, movie stars are what sold tickets as opposed to starting in the late six, starting in the mid to late 60s, there's a shift and younger audiences are more interested by directors filmmakers and then that lasts us throughout the rest of the 20th century this is suddenly becoming a small 
film class, I guess, for any listeners out there. Now we're, of course, living in an era when, yes, there's still plenty of people who follow certain filmmakers and are interested in certain filmmakers. And sure, everybody's got their favorite actors. But people, let's that's not get, That's not what butts in season that's, one, though. Exactly. It's no. spectacle. It's franchises. It's no well, Yeah, it's it's recognizable characters. Correct. That's what gets butts in seats. Rob Dine Jr. does not sell tickets. Iron Man sells Correct. tickets. Mm-hmm. Captain America sells tickets. Yes. If, if, yes, unfortunately for... Spider-Man sells tickets. Yes, unfortunately blue, for... Blue people sell tickets. <laughs> yes, <laughs> And boy do. boy do blue yes. people sell tickets, <laughs> man. People, boy do they. <laughs> on land, underwater, in trees, wherever wherever you might find them. Uh, on volcanoes for the next one. <laughs> Wait, really? Oh yeah. Avatar 3 is going to be on volcano? Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm so excited. That's pronounced Abada. <laughs> no, I, I agree that, you know... Uh, recognizability is different now than it was then. So like, I, I think that may have affected my expectation for whether Sierra Madre would be uh, more popular than the Red Shoes, but I guess not. Um, any other thoughts on Populous Corner before I move on to the Oscars? No, I think it's, I think it is telling though. Uh, it is telling both compared to 1948 and modern times. None of these five are highly, uh, have been highly watched by Letterboxd, even on Letterboxd, it sounds like. No. Compared, no, I'm surprised too. Compared yeah. to particularly, obviously, the last series in 2007 and 19, even 1975, our first series. Um, yeah, these are the further you go back. Um, I'll be honest, I'll be intrigued when we go further back. Films from like 1939 with like Gone with the Wind, that those films are going to have probably more people watching them. This is just kind of one of those plucked out of uh, random, random golden era. Just off. I will say I think it was it was a good year choice just from the standpoint of one of the things I was hoping to get out of doing this was to watch movies that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, and sure. I was able to do that with uh, two of these movies that I hadn't seen. But also I think it's it's one that you don't have to do a whole lot of selling about. Like uh, two of them, even if you're not a serious film person, you would have heard of before. And then there's Hamlet too. Not Hamlet, <laughs> three, yeah. like, <laughs> yes. Hamlet also. Yes, yeah. Hamlet's Revenge. Yeah, the, 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 Again. The, the Steve Coogan film, Hamlet 2. Uh, <laughs> the, the Mel Brooks, Hamlet 2. Um, Mel Brooks would make Hamlet 2. I bet it'd be good too. Um, so I agree that it was a good year in that like I it gave me a reason to, first of all, finally check off uh, Red Shoes and Sierra Madre, two films that I'd heard of and never bothered to sit down with. And then also... A few movies that I otherwise would never in a million years have watched. Uh, I would never have sought out Johnny Belinda on my own, despite the fact that it was nominated for 12 Oscars, which will segue nicely into uh, the Oscars of it all. Uh, so these five movies, all nominated for Best Picture, obviously. Hamlet was nominated for seven and won four, being picture and actor, being two main ones, and then also Black Men Art Direction and Costume. Johnny Belinda was nominated for 12 and it won one. <laughs> Oof. One for twelve, and that was for Oof. best actress. So it, at least it won a major one. It's not like it, you but know, won. Talk about there's you know. a huge there's a huge gap between Johnny Belinda had twelve nominations and Hamlet tied for the second most nominations that year with seven. Mm. Yeah. So Johnny Belinda just ate them all up, man. <laughs> and then uh, the Red Shoes had five nominations and it won two for best score and best art direction in color. Um, the Snake Pit had six nominations and only won one. And that was for best sound recording. And the Treasure of Sierra Madre was nominated for four and it won three. But notably, the three that it won were big ones yes. where it won best director, best screenplay, best adapted screenplay, basically, and uh, best supporting actor. So, again, the, 
the major awards among these five movies, picture and actor for Hamlet, actress for Johnny Belinda, director, supporting actor, screenplay for Sierra Madre. Yep. It it just didn't, Treasure just didn't win the, the biggest big one. <laughs> yeah, it missed out just barely on being able to, to sweep uh, not only all its nominations, but some of the bigger bigger films. Um, we It's actually a pretty good, it's a really good year for, for John Huston because even supporting actress actually went to Claire Trevor for John Huston's other 1948 film, Key Largo. To quote that one letterbox review of Johnny Belinda, that bitch Claire Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> so something I'm noticing here is that, um, again, the, these are the Oscars that were won by the five Best Picture nominees. Uh, picture, actor, actress, supporting actor, Adapted screenplay, director, those are the major awards, and then below the line, black and white art direction, color art direction, costume, score, sound recording. I'm kind of surprised, and I feel like that's different. The Oscars are a little different nowadays, where like most of the major awards would be won by a Best Picture nominee. The cinematography would be won by a Best Picture nominee. Uh, most of the acting awards would probably go to a Best Picture nominee. Well, maybe not. Uh, both screenplay awards would probably go to a Best Picture nominee. Um editing would go to a best picture nominee and that kind of stuff and instead like i mean i listed off the major awards here uh but like i'm surprised by how few i guess went to these five movies and like it was it was spread out more that movies that did not get a best picture still won uh best supporting actress and best cinematography and and best score and that kind of stuff or i guess score is one by the red shoes so maybe not score but uh i mean what do you guys think well i think it's interesting because even if you look at today and we talked about this on the 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 episodes for these two films, Johnny Belinda and the snake pit. Those are two films where, yeah, I might, I could see today in today's day and age, Olivia de Havilland and Jane Wyman, maybe pulling off nominations throughout the award season. I don't know if Wyman would get an Oscar nomination to Havilland. I think probably could pull it off, but those are the, they're films that I'm not sure would get nominations outside of the performances. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that at the time back then, TJ was talking about uh, issue films these two managed to be uh, in, deemed important enough by the Academy voters to land Best Picture nominations. And we'll talk a little bit. There, there, there's no, um, I'm not, uh, there's not a shortage of other good, like really quality films that have stood up over time from 1948. Um, so it is interesting that Snake Pit and Johnny Belinda, you know what, it, Honestly, it's really the performances that are that are most memorable, I think, for these two movies, and probably what impacted the audience most, in addition to the fact that, oh, yes, we are now realizing that it's it's terrible to be in a mental institution in 1948, or it's terrible that we treat deaf and mute people like they're uh, idiots, basically. Um, because we we're not smart or or educated enough to attempt to communicate with them. I'm sorry, but those two films just they they cut awkwardly in 2023. What do you think, TJ, about how the it was more spread across uh, non Best Picture nominees? The wins were that's not something I really noticed when I was looking um, because we they still do kind of like a spread the wealth. They do, um, yeah. At least more so now than maybe in the late 90s, or early 2000s. And also we have 10 Best Picture nominees, or like between 8 and 10, or now it's officially 10, but like 
more yeah. Best Picture nominees means it's more likely that the big winners will be nominated for Best Picture, and then we only have uh-huh. one year. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, that wasn't really something I noticed or thought much about until you mentioned that. So, and, and I don't know, I would think now with all of the precursor awards and everything that there'd be more time for a consensus to build, which might lead to kind of a culling of the fold a little bit more. Uh, but actually, it's proven to be kind of the opposite of that, if if you're, what you're noticing with the data there is, is true. Anything else to say about the Oscars before we uh, talk about other movies from 1948? Not that I want to, like, relitigate, but I mean, that is kind of the point of this. Uh, Olivia de Havilland should have won um, over Jane Wyman. Agreed. I think that's, having watched, that's having watched, pretty surprising yeah, one now. Having um, watched both of those... Um, it is, yeah. It is. Olivia de Havilland's performance is what I thought made Snake Pit watchable, really, for as long as a, of a film it is. Um, almost two hours long. I think de Havilland, without de Havilland, the film just kind of falls apart. It's best when you're following her agree, and following yeah. the patients. Well, also, like, no, no disrespect to Jane Wyman, but like a lot of what she does just kind of like smile and nod at people. And she doesn't in Johnny she, Belinda. She doesn't emote a whole lot with her face either. A lot of it. We talked about this on the on that episode. Lou, Lou Ayers does a lot of the translating, both both literally and figuratively, for Jane Wyman, and yet she walked away with the Oscar. It's um, no, yeah, no, no offense to Jane Wyman, but you know what? She was married to Ronald Reagan. She suffered enough. I guess that's maybe why they gave her an Oscar. <laughs> and uh, the, does the Gipper have anything to say about that, TJ? Well, at least she uh, won an Oscar because that made things go a whole lot more smoothly later. <laughs> Okay, so Hamlet, Johnny Belinda, The Red Shoes, The Snake Pit, and Treasures of the Sierra Madre. Um, what other movies from 1948 have you guys seen? Ken, what have you got? Oh, I, I've seen I've seen quite a few films. Um, films that Let's I real quick. I was going to say quick. films that I, I wish were were here or appeared at the 21st Academy Awards. I mean, you got uh, Victoria De Sica's Bicycle Thieves, which is Kind of, which I have also seen. The, yeah, it's it's in retrospect one of one of the all time great films that one people of the talk great about movies, constantly. Yeah. It's was that number one school? on the first on the first ever Sight and Sound list? Was that number one? It was nineteen fifty two. Yeah, okay. It was the very first number one in the Sight and Sound. That's right. So we're talking, yeah, the first the, just four years after this. Um, now the Oscars at the time didn't have a category for for non English language films or international films as we call them now. Um, but Bicycle Thieves, to its credit, was very popular and well-received at international film festivals even back then. I think that's probably better than all of these. Maybe better than four out of the five, but I think it's probably better than all of them. I would, I would agree it's better than four of these five. It's kind of close. Yeah. It's, it's up to, uh, we'll, we'll talk about our ranking in a, in a bit. But yeah, Bicycle, TJ, Thieves, Bicycle Thieves is all-time great. Uh, I think it's better than all five of these. Yeah, I, I think I probably agree. Yeah, there might be one, but okay. Um, I also can? I'm also a big fan of Red River, which did get a couple of Oscar nominations, but they're technical. I think uh, it got a film editing nomination, and I don't even know. Maybe a I think a nomination for screenplay. It was nominated for best motion picture story, which is best original screenplay. Basically, it was nominated for best film editing. And it was nominated. Uh, I think that's it. it. It's <laughs> Two only, nominations. Yeah. It only has a couple. And that's from Howard Hawks. That's a fantastic Western film. We talked uh, in the last episode about Treasure of Sierra Madre being maybe not the most classic of Hollywood studio era Westerns. Um, Red River is more in that. I mean, it's John Wayne, for heaven's sakes. So it, it, it is exactly what you would expect. Um, but a much more thought provoking 
Um, and I think uh, maybe more carefully paced Western, let's put it that way. Um, Red River is a big, big, uh, big, big, I'm a big fan of that film. Uh, there's also Key Largo we talked about uh, on the last episode. We talked about it earlier. Um, there's also a, a couple of films um, that are a little more lighthearted to a degree that I like. Uh, State of the Union starring Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Angela Lansbury. Um, were they married back in 48? Uh, they were together. They never actually got Spencer married. Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn? Tracy, Tracy okay. never actually divorced his first wife. Um, ah. Because he was Catholic and he just he didn't believe in divorce. He did, however, believe in separation. Apparently, because I know plenty of Catholics who believe in divorce. Being a Catholic myself, <laughs> yeah. and, and it, Tracy did not. But they were, yeah, they were already together uh, by the time they made State of the Union. Um, and also, just for just for laughs, Evan Costello meet Frankenstein is nineteen forty eight. There's another great uh, laugh out loud. Uh, should that be non for best picture? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> if we're going to throw out another one that I thought should be nominated, uh, if you've seen Rope from Alfred Hitchcock, I was going to bring up Rope. The fact that Rope got zero Oscar nominations is pretty wild. I mean, there's like a there's like three opportunities for best supporting actor in there. Uh, best cinematography seems like a no fucking brainer. I yeah. mean, it's it, Rope. Rope is famously a Hitchcock movie that is edited together to look like one shot, much like Birdman. Which did win the best cinematography Oscar? If it was directed by Inyari two in the mid twenty tens, it would have won an Oscar yes. for sure. It's it, I'm fl- I'm flabbergasted that Rope did not even get nominated for best cinematography. Cinematography, like, I, don't, and I don't know what's going on in nineteen forty eight. I have no idea what's going on. Cinematography and editing. I think at the time, to be honest, when Rope came out, it was popular for uh, audiences. I think liked it, but um, I think in the industry there was a bit of a reputation, or at least an opinion, that it might it was kind of gimmicky. Um, which unfortunately, if you look at Alfred Hitchcock's filmography and you look at his relationship with the Academy Awards, um, I feel like Hollywood always kind of thought of him as the kind of, kind of, he's the, he's the mystery and, and suspense guy. That's what he does. This, this is also pretty early, relatively speaking, in Hitchcock's run. I mean, he's made well, notorious by this point. But he's not yet made Psycho or Rear, or Rear Window or Vertigo. He's, right? he's made notorious. He had Rebecca. Um, he had, Foreign correspondent. He had all the films he made before he moved to the U.S. Then he made he had he came here. He made. He had I feel to, like his biggest movies are yet to come. Though is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, the ones the the big hits, the Hitchcock films that everyone talks about. That's really the fifties. Dial in for murder is still 60s. coming. Yeah, T- to catch thief, North by Northwest. They're all still. This come. is after both Notorious and Suspicion. Those are the two bigger ones that came before um, Rope. But Rope is his first. It's his first four way with uh, Jimmy Stewart. That's right. And it's yeah. a color. And Rope's great. It is. Rope is yeah. awesome. I, th- I think I saw that either early pandemic or pre-pandemic uh, shortly before it. Um, it's awesome. It's really good. T- uh, any other 1948 movies for you, Ken? Uh, you shout out? Those are the ones I'd want to shout out. Yeah, I've seen a few more, but... My only two looking back that, um, having just Googled the list a little while ago, 1948 movies were Bicycle Thieves and Rope. Um, I think you guys are a little higher on Rope than I am. Um... But, I, don't, I don't know if I'm like super high on it. Like, I think it's better than two or three of these nominees, though. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. For my part, Rope and Bicycle Thieves, I think, are the only movies from 1948 that I've seen other than these five. And I do want to shout out that uh, I live in L.A. If you go to a restaurant called The Smokehouse in Burbank, which is a uh, was a popular old Hollywood haunt because it's right by Warner Brothers. Guys would just walk off the lot, go have a steak and much liquor, and then go back to work. Uh, if you go to the Smokehouse, there's a big, giant poster. Of, there, there's a lot of movie posters, but Key Largo is probably the biggest movie poster 
in a smokehouse. I don't know if uh, I, I I ate there. I told you I ate there last year when I was out there in California. Yeah, and I was I had a flight in the afternoon. I decided to grab uh, an early lunch at the smokehouse after talking with you. I think uh, Josh. Yeah, and the red yeah the red leather booth booths. It's kind of a yeah. classic classic uh, steakhouse. Servers way. all have like burgundy you know, blazers on. You know exactly. Yeah, they were they were decorated for Christmas. Um, and I do, there's a lot of memorabilia, a lot of posters, yeah. a lot of uh, yeah. photos of, of classic Hollywood stars. But a big one is Key Largo, which, you know, as we mentioned, directed by John Huston, starring Hungry Bogart, etc. Uh, I still haven't seen it, but <laughs> it's a good poster. It makes fun to watch I, it. I think I, to be honest, uh, we're talking about of, of these five, and we'll talk about our ranking shortly. If I were to have nominated um, uh, Films for Best Picture 1948, there's only five slots, right? I think only two of these would make my list. I think Key Largo would actually make the list over three of these. Um, did you have the cheese bread at the smokehouse? <laughs> uh, I did, actually. Okay, good. I was going to say, I did don't, don't go there and not have cheese I bread. I did. That's a, that's a must. Dude, next time we're in town, man, let's go to the smokehouse, you and me. We'll uh, pretend like we're George Clooney and Brad Pitt I particularly, walking off the lot. I was just about to say. Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. I particularly loved the meal. I, I yes, Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's it for other movies from 1948 that we've seen. Uh, short list for me, longer list for Ken, which, as I mentioned last time, I'm the modern sensibility guy on this podcast, so it makes sense that I haven't seen as many movies from 1948. And Ken is the Turner Classic movie. And Ken is the 65-year-old man yes. of the podcast. Uh, not actually, but, you know, in spirit. Uh, so let's uh, let's just go through and, and rank these five personally, and we'll see how our personal rankings stack up against the Academy Awards. We'll see if they got it right or not. Uh, TJ, if you were to rank these five movies, Hamlet, Johnny Belinda, The Red Shoes, The Snake Pit, and The Treasure of the Air Madre, what's your number five of those five? My one, I think, is firmly in place, and I think my five is firmly in place. Two through four, I could flip around. Um, okay. My number, five, my number five is Hamlet. Really? really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm partly biased here in the sense that, uh... I've read the play 12 times and mm, yeah. it's the English teacher thing and I'm biased toward the Brana version, but I just, I, I was going to make a the, joke. I was going to make a joke about the Brana version, but you actually do like the Brana version a lot more than the Olivier version. Oh, a hundred times. It's, it's, it's unabridged though. So that should maybe the English teacher knew uh response to that. It's maybe, I think it more has to do with the tone. Mm. The only thing I really like about, the Olivier one is uh, the ghost, the way they do the ghost. The rest mm-hmm. of it, I think, is just kind of misinterprets the play. But yeah, so five for me is Hamlet. Ken, number five. Uh, my number five, I've got Johnny Belinda at the bottom of this Johnny ranking. Belinda. Why is that your fifth? I just, I, you know what? I thought it was just too cheesy. To be honest, I was watching it and I had a tough time getting through without chuckling at the ridiculousness of some of the characters and the setup. And it just, oh, it doesn't hold up very well at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, for me, number five, I, I'm, I'm surprised we have a different number five. All three oh. of us. My number five is going to be the snake pit. Okay. I'm putting the snake pit <laughs> number five. Uh, it just, um, I, I think we're going to have similar three four and fives yeah. the three of us they'll probably be common among the three of us we'll probably have common ones and twos as well but um so i'm not saying that i like i dislike the snake pit much more than i disliked my number three or my number four but um there's just really not a lot to it 
And I don't really know what the movie's trying to say besides like, hey, it's we we don't treat <laughs> you know people who don't conform to traditional definitions of sanity. We don't treat them very well. Uh, and that's it's a movie that, as I mentioned in that episode, I've seen One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest many times, and uh, that's just a, a thousand head and shoulders telling the same story, getting across the same themes, just way way. Way, way, way better. And I realize that Johnny Belinda, or I'm sorry, uh, The Snake Pit was several decades earlier, but I don't care. It is what it is. I'm not in any hurry to watch that again. It's I could have skipped it. Yeah. Don't ever, don't ever watch The Snake Pit and One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest back to back or short in short in a short time within a short window. It's um, it will tear. It will look absolutely terrible compared by comparison. Uh, I'll just go ahead and go with my number four, which uh, is Johnny Belinda for me. Shocker. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a good explanation for why I'm putting Johnny Belinda ahead of the Snake Pit. Besides, I, I guess I could more easily. It has more of a story to it. I think the Snake Pit was a little bit more meandering, and we covered in the Johnny Belinda episode that like the structure is very odd, where it has like a 20 minute prologue explaining to you concepts about what deaf people are like. And then like maybe an hour long story of three acts where the third act is like eight minutes long. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's pretty weird, but at least I, I can at least track it and, and see what it's doing and follow along with what's doing more so than snake pit. So I don't know. Yeah. John Belinda number four for me. Uh, TJ, what's your number four? My number four is Johnny Belinda. All right. You and me match. Any thoughts on it? I mean, I think I liked it more than you guys did. It, you definitely did, yeah. Again, it's not something that I really think I need to ever watch again, but I, I have feelings of malice for Hamlet, and I don't have feelings of malice for Johnny Belinda. That's fair. Um, so, But for me, it's kind of the most straightforward, almost oscar Beatty film out of, out of the bunch. Yeah. Ken. Ken, number four. My number four is The Snake Pit. Uh, I... I I liked this better than Johnny Belinda, and the reason entirely, almost entirely, comes down to Olivia de Havilland's performance. As I mentioned during that episode, that's what kept me watching it. Um, it, I thought the film actually was pretty interesting when it focused on her, and it is a little meandering. Um, that the film is not perfect; it's a flawed film. Um, but I think compared to Johnny Belinda, which just seems so simple and yet still so flawed. Uh, that performance is what overcomes for me. Um, I, I give I'll outrank it over Johnny Belinda any day. That makes sense. And let's stick with you, Ken, for your number three. My number. Th- I think I my. I'm guessing it's Hamlet. It is Hamlet. Yes. Okay. It is. Uh, I I clearly don't have the same bias uh, against it that TJ has as a being an English teacher. I'm not. I'm not surprised. By, by bias, you mean correct interpretation? <laughs> but yes, go on. <laughs> I actually appreciate that we talked about this during the episode. Uh, it's not a direct adaptation. He is, he's adapting it and changing things and cutting things out, uh, of the production. I think I like, I, well, not I think I like Hamlet or appreciate Hamlet more than the Snake Pit and Johnny Belinda because I think it's just more ambitious. I think it looks better. Uh, I think despite the fact that Olivier is a bit over, not a bit, he's classically over the top in his performance. Um, there are some performances of the film that I think I, I quite liked, um, particularly some of the supporting characters. I thought Gene Simmons, despite the fact that she's over the top, I think it's appropriate for when she's Ophelia's having the breakdown. I like when she sings Detroit Rock City. 
Yes, exactly. That's well. That that's a, and it's a surprise. It's a curveball that yeah. just comes out of nowhere. Just an act act three out of nowhere. I told you, Hamlet. Like it's ambitious. Out, yeah. Olivier was already thinking well, well ahead of Bosler Boslerman's Hamlet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, I guess I'll just piggyback off of you and say that Hamlet's also my number three. Uh, it sounds like for similar reasons as you. Yep. And I think that. TJ, to your point, I think me and Ken not being English teachers and not being as intimately familiar with the source text makes us more forgiving of the movie version. Because, like, for me, I read Hamlet in high school and I've not opened it since. So, like, I I, I remember, like, the broad strokes outline of what the story is, but it's not like if something is missing, I'm going to hold that against the movie necessarily. Like, you know, it's it stills the ghost. It's, I mean, I don't know. It's missing Osric and Fortinbras. I know that much. But, like, I guess I guess my point is I'm less precious about the text than you are someone who's read it 12 times i would i would i would go so far as to agree with tj that i think i think prana's i think brana's version is is better than this one it's pretty cool um yeah i I like it better i'd rather watch it even though it's much longer i might have to take a break um but i don't mind olivier's version for the times i think he he made he made several uh shakespeare adaptations this is not my favorite by any means um but it is interesting to watch. And I think I said this in the Johnny Belinda episode is like Johnny Belinda and the Snake Pit both, as I've said multiple times now, they're more curiosities to me of like, oh, wow, this is what was considered an Oscar-y movie in 1948. It, it doesn't track now that that'd be an Oscar movie, but Hamlet still does because like it's still Hamlet and it's still like got really cool cinematography and it's Laurence Olivier and like, I don't know, like that at least makes sense to me as an Oscar movie and I understand how and why it's got nominated and and won, I guess. So that's why it gets a bump for me. Honestly, like, again, Johnny Blend is my four, Hamlet's my three. If you were to ask me right now which one I'd rather watch again, I might rather watch Johnny Blend than Hamlet, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but but uh, Hamlet gets a bump over Johnny Blend for its timelessness. As TJ mentioned, Johnny Blend is kind of dated now because it's an issues movie. Yep. And Hamlet will never be dated because it's Hamlet. It's Shakespeare, you know? So, um it's despite being set further in the past or you know johnny blend is a contemporary movie hamlet's a period piece despite that it's like more timeless than johnny blend just against the edge uh tj what's your number three my number three is the snake pit wow i liked the all the snakes and uh <laughs> i liked the, the part with samuel L. jackson on the plane as well that also a surprise <laughs> big surprise wasn't expecting it that'd be a great double feature by the way the snake pit and snakes on a plane uh i again think i liked this one more than you guys did just i don't know it's it's got its issues but it also was doing some weird things um particularly with representations editing, of yeah. yeah what was going on in the the psych ward, so I, I appreciated that. I think if you listen to the Snake Pit episode, I I quite like I, I quite like the Snake Pit compared to I think certainly Josh. I think what this ranking is coming down to, Josh and I just clearly appreciate Hamlet more than you because you've just got a thorn in your side about it. <laughs> I don't think you can hate either Johnny Belinda or the Snake Pit. They just kind of exist. So as I predicted, we have our bottom three set. Already, and we have a common bottom three, which means we have a common top two. Uh, so far, here's what we have. Uh, our, our collective number five will be Johnny Belinda. Our collective number four will be The Snake Pit. And our collective number three will be Hamlet. Uh, because Johnny Belinda got uh, fifth place for Ken, fourth place for me and TJ. 
Snake Pit got fifth place for me, fourth place for Ken, third place for TJ, and Hamlet got third place for Josh, third place for Ken, fifth place for TJ. So that's how it works out. So we're currently at Belinda five, Snake Pit four, Hamlet three. So, TJ, number two. I suspect we all probably have the same number two. And I I thought about being a bit extra and uh, really fiddling with this, but when I got down to it, I my appreciation outweighed that. Uh, red Shoes is number two. The Red Shoes. Uh, you're right. I also have the Red Shoes number at number two. I actually have also the Red Shoes. It, it's a, <laughs> Fake out. It is not a surprise <laughs> at all. All right, so that's going to be our number two as well then. Any reason, TJ, why the Red Shoes is ahead of uh, the Snake Pit, but behind your number one? What do you got on the Red Shoes? The sequence in the middle, I think, is excellent. The influence that film has had. I mean, it's hard to have to make the case for the Red Shoes, because I think the case is kind of there in a lot of ways. But I don't particularly enjoy it, like I said. So for me, if I were spacing this list out... There's, it's like Hamlet sucks. Uh, the middle three are bunched together, and then there's a huge gap. And then my number one, which is the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say for me too. In that, like, the Snake Pit and Johnny Belinda, I'm like, what are these doing here? <laughs> Hamlet, I'm at least like, I, I get it. It's Hamlet, it's Laurence Olivier. The Red Shoes, I certainly appreciate. More than I like, but I at least appreciate it, and like I, I kind of, I, I kind of get it. I'm like, yeah, I, okay, like I get how this is uh, one of the more beloved movies from the 1940s. It's pretty. Uh, there's some pretty dazzling sequences, as you mentioned that the middle sequence where it's like a 15 minute ballet. Uh, it's pretty great. Um, but man, Treasure of Sierra Madre, that's head and shoulders number one yeah. for me. Uh, it's it's like the one of these five that I would pretty much recommend to just about anybody. Yeah, like, I would be. I would only recommend the remaining four to serious film people. To use our phrase, and maybe not Johnny Blender or Snake Pit. I might not even recommend those at all, but I would recommend you know. But Sierra Madre gets just a blanket recommendation for me. Uh, from 1948, I mean, yeah, the treasure between the Treasure of Sierra Madre and Bicycle Thieves, I think those are the two um, real standouts from this year. Bicycle Thieves, obviously absent at the Oscars, but it, along with, and I might throw in Red River too. I obviously really liked the Red Shoes um, during that episode. I was the most um i guess positive about uh about it um but yeah treasure sierra madre is a film that i've revisited far more often and i i just enjoy more it also holds up much better i think it's more timeless than the others and even though the red shoes there's a passion there particularly the use of of color in the film it's it's appealing to watch but treasure still looks fantastic i agree man so so we're in we're in pretty good agreement uh, all of our ones are the same. All of our twos are the same. Our three, fours, and fives are different. But you know, uh, just to recap, uh, to sum up our collective tastes: number one, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Number two, The Red Shoes. Number three, get uh, big gap between two and three. But number three is Hamlet. Number four, The Snake Pit. Number five, Johnny Belinda. Uh, it's kind of a bummer. I'm looking forward to the year where we like one person's number one is somebody else's number four, sort of thing. You know. Well, we haven't really had that yet. So I guess to to put a, a bow on this, the Academy gave our number one best best director, best uh, screenplay, and best supporting actor, but it did not give it best picture. Best picture instead went to our number three, and a number three that's like 
kind of not even close to number one. Again, it's number one, number two, then a big gap to number three. So the Academy got it wrong here, in, if I may. In, in, fair, in, in fairness to the Academy, they were pretty close to, I uh. think, Treasure. What I mean by that is you can you can see where I ha- – you have to imagine Treasure Sierra Madre was very close to taking Best Picture based on how they ultimately voted in those other categories. You know what they say about close, Ken? Yeah, I know, I know. Horseshoes and hand grenades, my friend. And and best actress races with Glenn. Anyway, oh, I think God. it's interesting that... <laughs> I think it's interesting, you know, the, the Oscars, for all their flaws, you know, one thing they certainly are is an advertisement for movies. And what they choose to confer importance on by giving awards to particularly Best Picture, is a snapshot of what the Academy wants to project the world of what they are. It's it's more like, uh, you know, their own myth-making than anything else, I think. I mean, yeah, they're, you know, supposedly acknowledging the quote-unquote best movie, but also they're trying to, like, present the project a, a, a image of themselves to the world so that they so the world sees them a certain way i guess if that maybe i'm reaching but like it's interesting that like they rejected the gritty dirty kind of mean-spirited movie in treasures of the sierra madre and instead went with the prestigious stately you know uh refined highbrow safe pick i mean it's it's shakespeare for god's sake yeah. they, they decided that that's what they wanted to represent them in 1948 more so than what i think is pretty clear is the obviously better movie to be fair when when talking about best picture and the academy it is more interesting just to see what got nominated for best picture because in the grand scheme of things whatever wins whatever actually wins there's always argument or disagreement in a year like this, though, it is interesting to look back. The films that are most, I think, cited or most referenced are certainly Treasure of Sierra Madre, Red Shoes, but also Bicycle Thieves and Red River, and even to a degree, Key Largo and Rope, maybe, that are all absent from this nominate, from, from this best picture category in 1948. So it is more interesting to look back. Sometimes, you know, the nomination is enough, uh, at least in the grand scheme of things, because sometimes it's better to be the, the one that lost that everyone thinks should have won, hence Treasure of Sierra Madre. It is interesting. I think it's more interesting to look at these lists and see what other great films just didn't seem to be on their radar in 1948, but in retrospect, decades and decades later, are what we always talk about or what we go to and watch. TJ, final thoughts on these nominees, the movies of 1948, the Oscars, what do you got? Something else I noticed uh, with three of the films, they were also about like, Women in Distress, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Absolutely. Three um, five, yeah. And that's something that was common in film coming out of the Second World War. Um, a lot of it ended up being in noirs. None of these three were noirs, but um, that fear of, you know, women had taken men's place in the workforce. And thus there was a huge paranoia about, like, <laughs> the inner lives and thinking and psychology of women and what if they weaponize sex and all of this stuff. So that was in three of these films, but not the one that won. I mean, you could, you could read into Ophelia there, I guess a little bit, but not, not cause she entered the workforce, but she did, you know, it is a woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown uh, in Ophelia. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh that's, that's a cogent observation. Um, I'm trying to relate that to Brandon and Philip in Rope who are uh, the two villains in Rope are queer coded. They, right. they couldn't be like, overtly gay uh but they're obviously gay 
in, in the movie, uh, even though they don't explicitly say that. So, um, which is an I don't know if that fits in at all. It is well, it's an op- it's an interesting observation. I think I think rope is probably absent from the Academy any Academy nominations really um, for this year. More, I think, because Hitchcock just wasn't necessarily everyone's favorite filmmaker. They weren't thinking of auteur filmmakers in 1948. Um, he was the guy who did the suspense films. That said, uh, the fact that there is that aspect to Rope where they do have queer characters in it um, probably doesn't settle well with everybody uh, who's who's looking to choose a film to reflect the times. That's a good point, yeah. Uh, Ken, any closing thoughts? 1948. Uh, it, I'm glad we I'm glad we did this year. There are going to be more years like it to come that, uh, as we continue on watching uh, films like in this case, films some of us haven't seen or all of us haven't seen before, um, and then also revisiting classics and asking questions about why they hold up. And in this case, we got lucky. A couple of these really, really do hold up, and another couple, um, well, we watched them. <laughs> we did. All right, 1948, that that closes the book on our series on the movies from 1948, 1949 Oscar ceremony, a distinction I'm tired of making. We did it. We're done. (laughs) Until next time. Um, Trezzo Sierra Madre rips. Uh, TJ, so I chose, our first series was 1975, which is kind of just a collective, obvious first choice. Then for second series, I chose 2007. For our third series, Ken chose 1948. So for our next series, it's your turn to pick. And you kind of already spoiled it. I can't remember if it was on this podcast or the Trez of the Year Magic podcast, but what's our next series going to be? 1985. 1985. So the 85 movies, 86 ceremony. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Well, great. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to the series on 1948, and I hope you'll join us again for the series on 1985. And we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.